Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, January the 3rd, the Behind the Velvet Rope edition. I'm Gabriel Roth. I'm the editorial director for audio here at Slate, and I'm the father of Eliza, who is eight, and Leo, who is four. Today on our show, we're doing something a little different. If you're a dedicated listener to Mom and Dad are Fighting, you know that every week we do a special segment just for our Slate Plus listeners. Uh, we talk sometimes about some more personal stories. We get into the weeds a little bit. It's a little looser. It's sometimes funny. It's sometimes silly. It's often quite interesting. Uh, sometimes we take another question from a listener. Sometimes we have a guest share a special triumph or fail. Sometimes we just talk about whatever is going on in our lives. It's got that special Slate Plus feeling. Today, as a very special treat, we have pulled four of our favorite Slate Plus segments from the past couple years, uh, and we are making them available to you. You will hear Allison Benedict, the former host of this show, talk about good guys versus bad guys. You'll hear Rebecca Lavoie give us the scoop on an Instagram-related scandal in her small New Hampshire town. You'll hear Isaac Butler talk about not practicing what you preach to your kids Finally, I will share the inspiring story of my own circumcision. And if you're a Slate Plus member already, uh, I, Gabe, will be back at the end of this episode with a triumph or fail from my Christmas vacation with my family. Uh, So stick around or fast forward for that. If you enjoy what you hear today, if you want to hear more of that every single week, plus you don't want to hear any ads in our podcasts, you can sign up for Slate Plus. It's just $35 for your first year. You help us make the show and our other shows, and you get that extra content on this show and on our other shows every week. Go to slate.com slash momanddadplus and join Slate Plus. There's other ways to join Slate Plus but you should do it through slate.com slash mom and dad plus because that way we know that you love us the most. Okay. We're going to start with this conversation from the sand couch edition recorded this past August where Allison Benedict host emeritus of mom and dad are fighting dropped by to ask us a question. How do you talk to your kids about what makes someone a bad guy? Okay. Hello, Slate Plus members. Thanks for your membership. Thanks for sticking around. Um, we are very happy to welcome back Allison Benedict to the program. She has some sort of mysterious question that she wants to pose to us. She hasn't told me what it is, so I have no idea what this segment is going to be. Allison, what's going on? I feel like that buildup makes it sound more exciting. Hello, guys. Uh, hello. The question, hello. The question is, uh, I was just on a family road trip, um, car ride, kids in the back seat. My kids do. I don't know if your kids are quiet as you're driving and just like listen to music and play games, but my kids just don't shut up. They just ask us a million questions. 
it's exhausting. We like talked about foster care. We talked about separating the art from the artist. It was a lot of a lot of conversation. And my oldest that sounds pretty high level, actually. Remind- well, because I can tell you why the foster care part I'm not going to explain, but the separating the art from the artist was because my son, my oldest son Harry, all he wants to know now um, is is this person good or bad. So how old sep- is Harry? He's nine. Um, mm. And the separating the art from the artist was a Michael Jackson. Uh, question and then we got into that conversation but it is literally I think over the course of our vacation he must have asked me about 100 people is this person good or bad and no matter what no matter like how many times I explain I mean sometimes I said good or bad but also like often I would say it's just not like it's it's not always that black and white Um, it didn't deter him from continuing to ask that question Uh, and I just like it's exhausting and I wanted to hear what you guys think about like do I need to like I think he's trying to figure out the world with this question and put things in categories and is it better for me to like just make a deter- make a call on each person or get into all like the gray areas every single time This is a great question. I just want to say I feel like we had an advantage because I remember in my daughter's preschool classroom they had a song that went some things are good thumbs up and they would do thumbs up some things are bad thumbs down and they would do thumbs Allison's laughing at me because I'm literally moving my thumb <laughs> well, I'm here I'm thinking of performing studio. this for my nine year old son who would be like, Yes like, no obviously horrifying. it wouldn't work but then the, the song <laughs> continues some things are complicated thumbs to the side yeah. and so now whenever we have something that is in the complicated category we're like yeah thumbs to the side and and because she was taught this at the age of two and a half then she's aware that that's an existing category yeah. is thumbs to the side yeah um wow yeah i mean this is this is the question of the moment i think in I mean, this is like the biggest parenting question of like this moment in time which oh, is I didn't know that. I'm so on trend. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I think so. I mean, because that, I mean, I think kids are asking, I think kids are asking these questions a lot because all the stuff is, you know, we're coming up and it's like, yeah. is this good? Is this bad? And people say it's good, but then other people say it's bad and everyone's very passionate about what they think. And I do think that you should, and maybe I overdo this, but this, my personal opinion is that I do think you should talk about why things are complicated and where there's gray area. And um, and I think the more you do it, the less you have to do it because your kids will begin to understand that. But I also think that it's really important for parents to have a real clear sense on our own of our, of our own um, – how do I explain this? What I think is that there are values that are, are – that you can say are good. And there are values and things that you can say are bad. Whether or not people are good or bad is much more complex. And so I try to be very, at least in my opinion, I try to be very clear about what is good, a good thing to do, a good thing to be, a good way to deal with the world, a good, and then that what is bad, what is a bad way to be, what is a bad way to deal with the world. But whether or not people themselves are good or bad is a lot more complicated because sometimes they do good things and sometimes they do bad things and et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's, I think the gray areas in whether or not a person is good or bad, I try not to have a lot of gray area about whether or not, like, I try to have some clear values. Maybe not everything in the world, but some super clear values of my own about what's good or bad. Yeah. I, I, I like agree the- with all of that. I also think it's um, okay to say, as I do, because I get a lot of like political questions from my kids. I used to, especially when they were younger. 
about people like on the news in the public sphere, you know, mostly because like we like listen to public radio in the car or whatever. And um, I will often say, unless it's like super clear, I'll say it's my opinion that that person sucks. I mean, mm, and here's why go. I think that um, I think go. it's I, for, for me, it's always been important to frame it as in that way, because I want my kids to understand that there are other people who feel differently, right or wrong, and mm. that you know, I want them to understand why people feel differently, right or wrong, because I know they will encounter those people. Uh, a big part of that is because where we live, we live in a very ideologically diverse place and politically diverse place. And I don't want my kids to be set up with the sometimes false black or white point of view. Sometimes not false. I just want to be clear, but sometimes false black or why white. Why do you point love view. Donald Trump? <laughs> <laughs> No, as I was saying during the break, some people just always vote for one party and that's just the way it is where I live. I'm sorry if it's not the way where you live. It is just the way it is where I live. And, you know, you just have sometimes more complexity or less complexity than there might be. So I always like to frame it that way. In my opinion, that person sucks. Here's why I think that. But uh, and sometimes I won't provide the some people think, however, that blah, 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 blah. Um, I only do that when it's actually, you know, up for negotiation. But sometimes I'll just leave it at it's, you know, in my view that that person's bad um, yeah. and why. I, I think it's fine. I'm sorry it's boring, though, because I know it can be really boring. And I think it's completely OK to say that it's boring to have to do this over and over and over again. Um, let me just end by asking you guys um, the James Franco character in Freaks and Geeks, good or bad, and Michael Jackson, good or bad. Michael Jackson, I did some terrible things. The James Franco character is a disturbed teenage boy who we're ultimately supposed I'm to sympathize with. I'm just saying, good with. or bad? Whoa, whoa, <laughs> wow. Well, I mean, didn't Michael Candy Jackson have worms. a song where he like proclaimed himself bad? I mean, that's good enough for me to be comfortable oh, yeah. with that character. He's bad. He's bad. You know it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the one other um, thing I want to say about whew. this is, like, of course. You as an adult would never say, oh, that person is bad unless you were doing it with a degree of irony or, or distance or whatever. But when kids say like, oh, is that person good or bad? They are in fact picking up on vibes that they get about the way that we talk to other people. Like I feel like if you eavesdropped on my conversations with my wife, you would get a pretty clear sense of who we thought was good and who we thought was bad. Um, yeah. And even if we don't use that language, and right. I, I think, like, although kids will say it in a more direct way, the the ideas that they're bringing up are not actually so separate from the the ideas that undergird adult conversation. That's probably yeah. True. I think that's true. I mean, that's why I that's why I think it's like I have to have a few values that I know are good and that we're all trying and that not we're all trying to, but that I'm trying to live by as much as I can and I have to be clear what those values are and how to articulate them and how to explain what they are. And I have to be clear about what values and, and behaviors are, are hurtful to other people. And I think being hurtful to other people is genu is generally bad. And I, I look for ways to be clear about that. And then when it comes to people, I get to say, yeah, this person did a thing that was bad. And, right. and James Franco it, cut class and yeah. smoked, but he yeah. might not have been a bad person in Freaks and Geeks. <laughs> no, he was lovely. <laughs> All right. We got to wrap this up. Allison, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you, guys. Uh, Slate Plus members, thanks for your membership. We'll see you next time. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Our next segment is from a continuing saga in which Rebecca Lavoie peels back the curtain covering the small town of Hopkinton, New Hampshire, and tells us a little bit about the goings-on up there. Things get sometimes raunchy, sometimes intimate, always personal, always plus. This one comes from November of 2017, uh, in which Rebecca told us about the social media war that ensued after some of the girls of the Hopkinton High School founded an Instagram account called Girl Up Hopkinton. What happened next? Let's find out. Hello, Slate Plus members. Uh, Rebecca, tell us what's been going on in New Hampshire. Well, uh, my kids go to a little high school, and I'm going to uh, reveal the name of the school because it's actually relevant. And I would love for people to actually, like, check out the Instagram accounts I'm about to talk about so they can see why I'm, like, so up in arms about this. There is a group of girls at Hopkinton Middle High School in Hopkinton, New Hampshire. It's H-O-P-K-I-N-T-O-N, who started a little group called Girl Up Hopkinton. Now, this is an offshoot of a U.N. program that I guess the school is somehow tangentially involved with. Like they do a trip to Guatemala every year and they do all sorts of stuff. And this uh, one young woman in the school started this Girl Up Hopkinton group. And it was supposed to be um, like a club and a group that through social media and like work in the community does stuff to promote um, empowerment of girls um, and, you know, just kind of busting some uh, of the you know, patriarchal BS that's basically been going on in the school, I think. And I think some of this stems from last year, there was a big kerfuffle and a huge editorial in the school paper that a girl wrote about the dress code, which was so great. And so this has been a conversation that's been going on at the school. It's a very small school. So it's the kind of school where these conversations happen and, uh, you know, you hear about it from your kids because all the kids are talking about it. So when I first heard about this girl up Hopkinton Instagram, I'm like, oh, that's cool. And then my son told me that a bunch of shitty boys started an account called Man Up Hopkinton on Instagram where they basically post. And I know they think they're being funny, but there's just something about it that pisses me off so much. They then post these like anti-feminist memes and, you know, these dumb like Internet uh, pictures, you know, and it's just... So freaking awful. So the girl who started the Girl Up Hopkinton apparently approached my son Henry uh, in some way, and she's graduating and she needs students, not just girls, but like she what she basically said to him, which is correct, is that like, I need to make this a thing where like kids who are leaders, kids who other kids like, who are both boys and girls, like, I just want to make sure this thing lives on after I graduate. So, you know, can you please get involved and try to tamp down this man up Hopkinton BS thing and speak out against it and so forth. And Henry came to me and he's like, looks like I'm going to be working on Girl Up Hopkinton next year. And I'm like, you bet your ass you are. Like, (laughs) you have to do this because I'm so mad about it. So I just wanted to tell you, like, this is the kind of thing I think parents should, you know, talk about kids on social media. And I think we hear all these stories about abuse and bullying and Snapchat. But you can actually learn a lot about what's going on in your kids' community when you hear about stories like this. And this is the kind of thing I think you should be asking your kids about. Not, you know, yes, you should be talking about the secret messaging and all that stuff. But you should also be talking about, like, the Facebook groups, the Instagram accounts, the ones that are public. You should follow them, and you will learn so much 
about the BS stuff that then just the things that kids think are funny and like the cultural things that certain kids are just trying to push forth that are so right headed. And then the dicks that ruin it for everybody. It really does tell you a lot about the culture and the community your kids are living in. And this one in particular really has me up in arms. So what I'm going to do, if you guys don't mind, is after the show drops, I'm going to post links to these Instagram accounts. So our Listeners can check them out, and they can decide for themselves if they're as angry about this as I am. I don't know. Would you guys be angry about this? I'm assuming you would. You're both right-thinking, pro-feminist dudes. Yeah. (laughs) Silence. I mean, (laughs) yeah, no, no, no. This is (laughs) – no. (laughs) This is – I mean, what I I actually am looking at Man Up Hopkinton right now. It's disgusting, right? It's disgusting. I don't think it even is – like, I don't even think – I think you've been too kind in your oh, characterization I of it. I think that <laughs> I, have, I think I even have. thinking of it as like silly kids making jokes is like not it's not I mean it's It's not okay, right? It's not okay. It's hateful. It's beyond that. It's it's yeah, it's definitely where some of the worst things happening uh in this country right now, this is the genesis of it. In my from what I can see. And particularly because this kind of reactionary poorly thought out, defensive, self-righteous stuff really appeals to the teenage brain. Um, it has a chance to become incredibly insidious. And this is this is just an, I mean, this is just an echo of so much of what's happening on the Internet <clears throat> right now anyway, um, where boys are being told by other boys that they are somehow the victim of a vast conspiracy to keep their lives from working out. Um, and the response to that has an undertone, has an ugly undertone of violence if, from what I've observed growing up <laughs> as a boy in America. Um, and uh, I mean, I, I think it's it's not like uh, it's not even like, hey, we're just kidding around stuff. This is pretty ugly. And the fact that high school students are responsible it is ugly. For this and is I, I'll tell you, just knowing about the school, what I do is when I and when I say it's kidding around, what I mean is there is now a trend, I think, where people are kids are especially are ironically mirroring the culture around us in a way that they don't realize is actually, they don't necessarily realize is really, really ugly. I don't know all the kids behind this man of popping drink. I don't. I'm not going to pretend that I do. But I also know that there aren't like 30 horrible villains in this tiny little school. Like I know a lot of the kids in this school and they're not horrible villains. And so I think there's some of that like mirroring going on like let's poke fun at this let's like do what we see these other accounts doing that are really awful in a way that that's ironic and they don't realize that it doesn't matter whether it's ironic or not it's hateful and it's total bullshit yeah there's also there's a tendency among teenage boys often to do whatever is the edgy and shocking thing especially in a sort of humorous vein um and that often winds up just expressing repugnant hateful views in yep. like a way that when you take one step back you're like oh actually no that's just straight up repulsive that's right it doesn't matter what the intent was sometimes the thing is just the thing and this is one of those things and yes i was a little soft then when i first talked about it but i'm looking at it again now and i'm getting all fired up again so i can't yeah. see it cuz I, mean, I don't have a computer in front of me but i will say i a thing that i worry about a lot is the um like when people talk about the red pill internet, like the oh, the way in which young men and boys are sort of radicalized into a kind of anti-feminism. Um, and I just remember being like a very lonely and a horny teenage boy 
and I remember like really wanting to have a girlfriend and not having a girlfriend. And those are powerful feelings. And I worry that if that stuff had been around at the time, would I have been vulnerable to it? I don't know. Maybe I could have fallen into the wrong hole. And like, yep. what would I have turned into? Yeah. Yep. It's her fault that no one that, that you yeah, have a girlfriend. Yeah. Just desperately trying to blame yep. something other than yourself and your whatever. It's crazy. It's crazy. So let's do what we can to stop it. So uh, I I myself have been messaging uh, both accounts. <laughs> you know, I'm Henry's mom. Everyone knows it. So, <laughs> <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> cool. but, Thanks, um, you know. Whatever. I think I think I just showing sometimes showing it is can be the most most powerful thing of all. So I'm going to show it. I'm going to show everyone what's going on. It's great that Henry is the boy that they approached to help them with it. Well, he's like, he's, he's pretty you, rad, guys. He's pretty, we gotta be, get him on the podcast. I hope you're very proud of that. That's a great <laughs> I thing. I am. I am. Yeah. I, I also just want to say one thing about what you said about 30 super villains running around uh, your town, which is that one of the ways in which the Internet has changed the way we interact in real life is that people can be – uh, intensely cruel, violent, hateful on the internet and be pretty polite and yep. nice and like friendly in real life. Um, and then oftentimes, in fact, there is a podcast called Conversations with People Who Hate Me, isn't that it? Or something like yep. that, mm-hmm. where uh, a person goes and talks to people who have said hateful things to them on the internet. And, and invariably, these conversations are polite and friendly and no one's tossing around the N-word. And, no, you know, it's not like it is on the internet. So... I think in some ways that is one of the – that's how things go unheeded for so long, right? Because the kid down the street who's like says yes ma'am and no ma'am and takes his hat off when he comes in your house and like even says some of the nice things, feminist, like girl power things that you would like him to say when he's in your house may be the same person he could posting, be a Nazi, faving, liking right? some of this stuff. That's right. And exactly. And I think that's that's a lot of what's happening and so – um, that is goes back to the very beginning, which is why I think it's really important to continue to have conversations with kids where you push things a little farther than they want to take them so that you can uh, – up in terms of like what – finding out more about their lives and where they're at and what they're really thinking, what they're really thinking. No, but what are you really thinking? Because right. people, kids right now are keeping a lot under wraps and that's where a lot of this stuff is coming from. Yep. All right. Um, Rebecca, in a future Slate Plus segment, I look forward to you telling us about how you have successfully <laughs> quashed the Mana Popkington Instagram group. Can't wait. Can't All wait. Right. Uh, thanks. And thank you, Slate Plus members. We'll see you next week. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I was not here for the recording of this next segment, so you will not hear my voice for a little while. I'm sorry. I'll be back in a minute. I was on vacation. It was the What's Under the Bed edition, November 2017. Carvel and Rebecca were joined by Isaac Butler, slate writer and podcaster, and the three of them answered a question from a listener about whether you should feel bad when you don't practice the values you preach to your kids. Welcome, listeners, to Slate Plus. Today, we take a question about what to do when your own life diverts from the values that you want to instill in your kids. Dear mom and daughter fighting, 
Thanks for doing the podcast. It's been so helpful to listen to it every week. In general terms, my dilemma is one that I think a lot of parents face. We say that modeling behavior is the best way to educate kids in how they should behave. But what do you do when the life you're leading is a very different one than the one you want your kids to have? I consider myself extremely fortunate and like my life. It's just not the life I want for my children. My husband and I are lucky in that we have enough income where we don't both have to work. Until last year, though, I was working full-time at an executive position. I quit primarily because our oldest was about to go to middle school, and the power couple life was not giving us enough time with the kids in general. Before I stopped working, we had a lot of household help. Nannies, a cleaning lady, etc. And perhaps because of this, it didn't really cause me so much concern that I was the one to organize all children's activities, doctor's appointments, handle the cooking and clean up on weekends, etc. But now, because we don't have constant household help, my kids watch my husband and I display an unequal division of labor when it comes to daily household chores and childcare. I'm essentially living the life of an upper-middle-class 50s housewife. This isn't about changing my husband's and my choices about the division of labor. This works for us for a number of reasons. But I worry about the message we are sending to our children. I don't want my sons to expect their wives to serve them dinner, or my daughters to expect to cook and clean while their husbands watch TV. Is there some way, absent changes in our own behavior, that we can convey a more modern message of shared family responsibilities to our children? Should I even be worried about this, or will changes in society just ooze into their subconsciousness? Thanks, Ellie. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> I can start if you Love guys want. I, I have so many yeah. thoughts yeah, about yes. this. Oh, I'm going to keep mine short and simple, and then you can pile on with your more complicated thoughts if you want. Uh, yeah, all right. I don't know that they're more complicated. There just might be more of them. <laughs> uh, well, first of all, first of all, Ellie, congratulations on having what sounds like a really amazing life that um, uh, many of us don't have and, and probably would enjoy very much. Um, second, you know, I think the issue here around, you know, division of labor, unfairness around it. It's something I've talked about on the show a lot because I have some resentment over the fact that there are things that it seems only I know how to do or that, like, you know, I I, I tweeted this week about, you know, this is why I don't let, and I was joking, uh, Kevin go to the grocery store because instead of buying mayonnaise, he bought Miracle Whip and everyone knows that is bullshit food. It is disgusting. Um, and it just feels like unfair to me that, like, I'm the only person who knows that Miracle Whip is not mayonnaise. Like, how is that possible? Uh, so that's a small example. But for us, usually fights happen over things like laundry, um, as I've talked about many times on the show. I don't really know what's going on in your life. You have not given a lot of detail about why the situation you have works for you. But the bottom line is it does. And it doesn't sound like you're seething uh, with resentment or that you it sounds like your perception of this unequal division is something that more you're thinking about because of the way you think it might be seen from the outside and not because that's how it feels to you. Because the bottom line is, if you're not resentful and it feels like a choice, then, you know, that's different than if it isn't a choice and it's just the way it is and you're fighting that and you really want to model a different kind of situation for your kids. So those are my initial thoughts. I mean, I think having the conversation, I mean, you were you took the step to write us an email about it, about how, you know, this isn't what you want for your kids. You want them to be able to see a variety of experiences and not just this 1950s upper middle class uh, Betty and Don Draper lifestyle. Um Tell them that, like expose them to different kinds of people and different things. Talk about it openly, like make it part of the fabric of your parental discourse. I think your awareness and your lack of angst about whatever the situation looks like in your house is a huge first step, a huge first step. So I think you're already more of the way there than you might think that you are. 
That's all I got, guys. <laughs> see, I have other is, things, but I'm keeping them in because I want you to say them. <laughs> this is fascinating because <laughs> this is fascinating because you know, like Anne and I are are working on the sort of division of labor in our relationship, and we've been working on it for a while, and we continue to work on it. You know, that's a it's an ongoing conversation that that we have, and uh, uh, trying to break down the sort of expectations that the, the gendered expectations around who does what work and who does more work. You know, and so. So I just can't, maybe I just can't uh, see through this person's eyes, through Ellie's eyes, but just the fact that she was already doing all of this work when they had hired help uh, is just like sticking with me in this way that I can't like get, get uh, uh, around it. Do you know what I mean? And, and so I do wonder if maybe some reexamination of some of the division of labor might actually <laughs> help in this circumstance. If you feel like you are not living the values you want your children to see, maybe mm. you should reexamine the choices that, that you are making. Um, and you know, I just, there, I, I just find myself sort of stuck on on that to a a certain extent. I just feel like it is worth discussing that, you know, you were already organizing all of the kids' activities and the doctor's appointments and handling all the cooking and cleaning on weekends, even before, you know, the transition to being a stay-at-home mom. And so I, I, I just think there is some stuff that could happen there. But if you're really adamantly set against doing that uh i do did have a couple of ideas one of them is you know your husband may do some household tasks you haven't mentioned them and those may be sort of traditionally gendered like he handles paying the bills for example or mows whatever the lawn. mows the lawn yeah so you could like you could trade some of that stuff he Grills could do the, the dishes ties. yeah exactly he could do the dishes and you could mow the lawn do you know what i mean um uh, uh, and you know, there's the other thing I would just say is like it, the answer to your question about whether this stuff will ooze in through the culture, the answer is no, the exact opposite will happen. Like, and so you have to seek out cultural stuff that, mm-hmm. that treats this differently. Like, uh, and I don't know how old your kids are, but you know, like a perfect example is in the Ramona Quimby books, the dad gets laid off and the mom goes back to work and he's home with Ramona, you know, or, um, uh, also, your friend, your your kids' friends' parents might have different arrangements, and you can sort of compare and contrast and talk about that with them. So, those are my three ideas. If you really don't want to reexamine the division of labor in your house, yeah, I mean the the th- the question at the center of this is: Is there some way, absent changes in our own behavior, that we can convey a more modern message of shared family responsibility to our children? Which is essentially saying. Can we get the outcome we want without actually changing anything we do? Can right. I keep what texting and me... driving and hope that my kids won't text and drive? <laughs> yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> that's a really good example. And I, I mean, it's like that, that's, that does strike me as kind of a not to like overly beat this into the rug, but that does strike me as a little bit of like a, a, a particularly kind of privileged viewpoint, like the idea that I would like the outcome that I would like. So how can I order it? To happen, like instead of like, I mean, because the answer and the reason that feels somewhat bizarre to me is because the answer is no. You, you, your kids learn what you do from what you do. There's, they don't learn it from anything else. And this person doesn't say how old their kids are, which I think is sort of vital information. 
Um, when we go out into the world as kids, we begin to unlearn what our parents showed us. But when we're, you know, and that and that's a process that begins the more out into the world we go, and you know, in, in like preteen and adolescence, we're sort of half out into the world, and then we go to college or we go out into the world and get jobs, and we we then continue to try and unlearn and we pay therapists thousands of dollars to help us unlearn what our parents taught us. But the point is you learn what your parents teach you and they teach you by doing. And what you do as a parent is like 10 times more impactful than what you say as a parent. That's just my belief. Maybe Hmm. I don't, I don't know what the science is on that. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe people disagree, but that's what I've seen. Yeah, so I, you're, you're, I you guys are both right. By the way, you're you're both right. So like, I, yeah, so I, so I can't I can't imagine a situation in which you are like I don't I haven't changed my behavior at all, but hopefully I can somehow communicate to my kid, don't do what I'm doing. I mean, that's the reason that's a parenting joke. Say what I do, what I say, not what I do, because that's kind of absurd. And so. Um, not that there's, and again, there's nothing wrong with the fact that you have this, this arrangement and it, it works for you. That's great. And, um, if you want to hire, or if you have in the past hired a lot of domestic help, but you have to know, and you have to be honest about the fact that that's what your kids are learning about life. I mean, that's what they're learning about life. And that's, if you don't want them to learn that about life, then you can't keep doing that. Not that there's any, I'm not even saying whether or not it's wrong that they learn that about life. I don't know if it is or isn't. I have my own opinions, but I don't want to foist those on you because you have your own set of values and they're fine. But the parenting question is like, can my kids learn something to do something different than what I do, but without me changing doing it? And the answer, quite frankly, is no. They will Mm. learn what it is that you do. And like, so the stuff that, that, that you guys said, I think can augment that. Right. So like, here's the Ramona Quimby book and here's like the family down the street where the dad does stuff or whatever. But I think that you have to begin recognize that's the starting place. And so the other like last thing I'm going to say is that you're right. This letter doesn't mention what the dad does. It does use this kind of like um, example of the dad watching TV. And I would hope that dad isn't coming home from work and then watching TV all night Mm. while mom does stuff. I don't it doesn't it doesn't matter if if you like making dinner, if you really want the kids to know that dad can do stuff. Dad should be doing stuff. Mm. Dad should be making dinner. Dad should be putting kids to bed. Dad should be giving kids baths. Dad should be reading stories to kids. That should be happening. But that is a change in the division of labor. Yeah. From what you say that you currently have. So again, I just I don't see I mean it's like it's like it's like change the division of labor is how you teach the kids that the division of labor should be different than it currently is. You know, it is. And then a, there's just questions it, about how do you do that? Right. It is a funny thing where, you know, often we, we, we as humans, I think it's part of our psychology, we, we come up with these elaborate mechanisms to avoid the like, the like actually straightforward and simple thing, which is that we have to change something about ourselves or we have to change our behavior, yeah. you know? And so we do this sort of weird, crazy end run around it. And sometimes it is actually that like the thing that's immediately in front of you might be more difficult, but it's also simpler. And you just have to do that. What I heard here, I mean, there's a division of labor stuff. And I know what I said before, which was that like, you know, the conversation and the fact that there's no resentment will help. But I do agree with everything you guys said. And I, but I'll tell you why I said what I said, which is that what I hear in this question too is, um, some angst about labor. And it's sort of like a, a, an avatar for relationships, right? So I think mm. that there's a concern here, and and this is what I'm trying to address with this writer inner, is that like, 
the relationship you have with your husband, uh, the relationship that parents have with each other or the relationship that parents have with the world is the only model that kids have for the relationships that they will later have. And her specific concern here was, I don't want my daughter to have the expectation that her relationship will look like this or that, it, you know, that her life will look like this. Um, I think a lot about the emotional part of that. And, you know, mm. if what she has with her husband is truly something that they both feel great about and it's intentional and it works for some reason that I do think that there's a piece of information we don't have here. I just I, I just suspect it just given she sort of withholds a couple things and, and tells a couple things that if, if the relationship is good and healthy and supportive and loving and you've built this construct on purpose because it really works for your family, like communicate that because when you communicate that, you're also implying that there are other kinds of mm -hmm. constructs around the way the house runs mm -hmm. that also work for happy, communicative couples. I mean, I think that conveying of the... The, the satisfaction and the and the and the communicativeness and the and the gestalt around why you made these choices can be really important and as can by the yeah. way I, I don't think it hurts for for your husband to to do more of, of the labor I'm just gonna say it but like again I don't know why it is that he isn't there might be some other reason so that's, in, that's yeah I mean thinking. it's I yeah I think that's right and that, I guess the only question that raises for me is like if it's teaching your kids values that you don't want them to learn, is it working for your family? Right. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. Like, dun, I mean, because there's dun. like, there's, <laughs> yeah, because like there's stuff that I like it would enjoy doing, you know what I mean? <laughs> but I'm like, I, I can't because I'm a parent and my responsibility, my primary responsibility is to like, at least for these years, which is temporary. I have to keep reminding my that myself that otherwise I go crazy. For these temporary years, my primary responsibility is to these kids and to teaching them and displaying the values that I need them to have in order to go into the world in a good way. And so if I'm doing something that I really like, but it doesn't, but I know for a fact it's teaching my kids values that I don't want them to have, then it can't really be a thing that works. That's It's like it doesn't work for this reason. So I think that's what's weird about this letter is it's like, this totally works. Only problem is it teaches my kids terrible values, but it totally works. And it's like, well, it doesn't totally work then, does it? Right. I guess that's kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah. All right. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> if you, <laughs> I'm sure people on this. They're going to be fine. These... Guys, they're going to be fine. <laughs> they are. They're already fine. <laughs> There's no fine. question about that. Okay. Thank you very much, Slate Plus listeners. We'll see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance— then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
And finally, in May of 2018, for the Circumcision Conundrum edition, we were joined by Wendy Zuckerman, host of Science Versus, to talk about the science of circumcision. If you want to hear that episode, you'll have to go back in the archives. But after we talked to Wendy and debated the pros and cons of circumcision, I shared a very personal story exclusively with Slate Plus members. You can hear that segment now. Hey, Slate Plus members, thanks for being with us. So I promised that I would tell you uh, the story of my own circumcision, uh, which I will now do. Uh, Carvel and Rebecca have not heard this story either. Um, it's not the kind <laughs> Are you going to reenact it for us? It's not the kind of thing we talk about uh, when, when we're off mic. Uh, in any event, I'm I'm from a Jewish family, and although my my parents are are were pretty secular as Jews go, we don't go to uh, synagogue or anything like that. But definitely, when when I was born, then the the fact that I was gonna this was in the 70s, and the fact that I was going to be circumcised was pretty much a uh, a fait accompli. Um, and at the time, I grew up in in this, I was born in London, England, and at the time there wasn't such a practice of performing circumcisions in in hospitals. So it wasn't like the doctor or the midwife just asked them, "You want me to circumcise him right now?" Um, they looked into how was the best way to do it, and and at the time the advice they got was uh, the best way to do it from a from a medical point of view, from a, a hygiene and and proper procedure point of view. Uh, and the advice they got was not to have it done in a hospital, but to have it done um, at a by a, a, a rabbi, which uh, is called a mohel or a mohel uh, or a moel, or I, I I don't speak Hebrew, and and so I'm not going to pronounce that right. Um, but so they they made an arrangement for the rabbi to come over to to our house, and and um, they I think invited some people over. The Jewish ceremony of circumcision is called a bris. Uh, you you uh, invite mm-hmm. uh, other people over to to watch your your newborn son's genitals being trimmed. Um, it, it to me it compounds the bizarre aspects of the whole practice of circumcision that we were discussing here. The idea of like throwing a party around it. Um, it just, I bet, like whatever. It's already weird enough. So sure, if we're gonna, if you're gonna make it weird, why not go all the way? Um, but so the the rabbi came over, and he apparently he just sort of they he rushed in, and he just sort of grabbed me from my mother and took me off somewhere, and just like my my mother tells this story, she does the thing where you like wiggle your fingers to show like great busy activity of the hands <laughs> so that's what he was doing apparently uh and then i screamed and and um that was it i i was then a a, a jewish man uh, or at least a tiny <laughs> tiny baby who had, who had lost a little flap of skin from the end of his penis and 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 at some point afterwards um my parents were were talking to the rabbi and they said to him you know what now what happens to the foreskin and 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 the rabbi said, "Well, I uh, I I keep them all. I I take it home and I I keep them all at home." And they said, "What what do you what do you do with all what of them? The hell? What do you do what with all happening? of them?" And and, and he said, no. "Well, actually, actually, I, I I take them and I I use them to to make things." And he he pulls out of his what? pocket a, a, a bright pink wallet, a little You're purse, a little okay. purse, no, and stop. he says he says here, "This is Gabe. what I made out of a bunch of these." bunch of these foreskins <laughs> and he says ten ten thousand foreskins ten thousand brisses over the course of my life and i made this wallet 
And my father uh-huh. said, that's all you get out of 10,000 foreskins? And the <laughs> rabbi said, well, yeah, but if you rub it, then it turns into a set of luggage. Ah. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. I knew I knew a third of the way through that this is what you were setting us up for this. <laughs> Thank you for oh, your membership. Uh, we'll be back Jesus. next week. <laughs> Yes, Gabe Dad will be here all week. Just tip your waiters on the on the way out. <laughs> Thank you, Shecky Green. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, that works. <sighs> oh. <laughs> wow. <sighs> From Brooklyn to the Catskills. In, okay. In Good times. <laughs> Good times is right. <laughs> And that's our show. One more time, if you liked what you heard today and you want to get a segment like that every week, plus no ads anywhere in your Slate podcasts, you can join Slate Plus. $35 for your first year. You can help us make the show and you get an extended ad-free episode every single week. Go to slate.com slash Plus and join Slate Plus. If you've got a question you want us to address, you can call us at 424-255-7833 or email us momanddad at slate.com. Let us know what you thought of the show at our Facebook group. Go to Facebook, search for Slate Parenting. Uh, Our show is produced by Benjamin Frisch. For Carvel Wallace, Rebecca Lavoie, Allison Benedict, Isaac Butler, and the rest of the mom and dad are fighting family, I'm Gabriel Roth, and we'll see you next week. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.